It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. familiar with this passage, but I'm, I'm going to preach a message I've, I've never gone this route before, and I want to look at this, please. The book of Matthew, chapter number 2. Of course, there's two primary accounts of the Christmas story. One is in Luke 2, the other is in Matthew 2. Luke tells us about shepherds, and then Matthew 2 tells us about wise men. And, of course, our play on, the, on uh, Sunday night depicted the wise men, and we we do think that probably there was a time lapse between the two. And don't know that, I don't know personally that uh, wise men came to the stable. Scripture doesn't seem to indicate that. Uh, and there's reason to believe that probably Christ could have been as much as a couple of years old as we tried to accurately pro- portray in the play. Why don't you look what the Scripture says in the book of Matthew chapter number 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. The Bible goes on to say, When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired uh, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Verse number 9, When they had heard the king, uh, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Of course, this story is primarily about wise men and magi. But I want to focus tonight, if I can, upon Uh, something that has been debated through the years. I want to focus on the star. And I want to look at the Christmas star for a few moments together. May we pray. Our Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask and pray that you'd help us now. Lord, you will be accomplished in every heart and life. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Even though we're involved in a war this Christmas, it's a war of a little different nature. And while we do have servicemen and women uh, scattered around the globe fighting the war on terrorism, a generation ago at Christmas they were involved in a world war. And during the world war, the second world war, uh, you could seldom, you could scarcely find a young man in a congregation like this. uh, You would not have had young single men over the age of 18 here for Christmas. They were all either in Germany or Japan or somewhere in between. And it was very rare to see a young man walk down the street. He either walked with a limp or he walked in a uniform because they drafted almost everybody. 
I had a friend who was 39 years old and single and was drafted in World War II. And because of his connections with the shipbuilding uh, for the government, that he was able to be exempted through some channels and some things. But a 39-year-old man was drafted in World War II. That's how desperate it got. And during the war, they issued what they call service stars. And these were stars of, of, uh, to families who had... Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure about this historically, so maybe somebody could tell me. But either it was either they had families in, they had sons in the war, or in some cases maybe they had lost a son in the war. And I think it's the previous. I think it's they had a son in the war. And so they would hang what they called a service star on the window. And a service star indicated that their son was gone for Christmas. It was four more ladder. If it, if if a Okay, son lost in service. If it was gold, it was lost in blue if they were in service. And so the story goes that a man and his boy were walking down through uh, a suburb of, of one of the big cities, and it was Christmas time, and, and they were walking down through uh, there, and they were noticing that almost every house had a star in the window. And, of course, some of them, uh, you know, many of them, were, were gold stars, indicating that, uh, you know, that, that, that a son had given his life for our country. And in, in occasions, you would see multiple stars in the window. And that meant that they had more than one son who uh, had given his Christmas to be in the service. And the story goes that this little boy was so impressed with the stars, and they were out walking, looking at lights, and they were looking at the service stars. And said that being in, in, a, in a suburban area, you know, even back in the 40s, a lot of houses and just rows of houses late in the evening. They said they came to a little gap in the houses and just, just about where the, the star in the window would be, there was the north star, the evening star, I should say. The evening star came up and the little boy looked up and saw it and he said, look, daddy, God must have gave his son. He's got a star in his window. And the daddy said, that's right. That's right. That's exactly what Christmas is about. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we get caught up in so many other things that while Christmas is a special time for us, Christmas is a time of happiness and rejoicing and all the rest. You've got to remember that in the heart of God, Christmas was almost a time of I won't use the term bereavement, but you think about what a time of sacrifice Christmas was, whenever it was. When I talk about Christmas, I'm not talking about the 25th of December necessarily, but I'm talking about the advent of the Son of God to this world. Okay, so I'm going to use that definition when I say Christmas. When God came down to man, was it on the 25th? Not sure. Probably a little earlier in the, in the maybe a little earlier. Don't know, but I will say this. It's a historical fact that He came. It's a biblical fact that He came. And boy, we rejoice and, and it's an exciting thing to us because we're on the receiving end. Just like it would have been an exciting thing for a sergeant, uh, say in the, in the battlefields of the hedgerows of, hedgerows of Germany or, or France, when he's had half his platoon killed, it was an exciting thing for him for a new truck to pull in with a bunch of new recruits 
bunch of new warm bodies to fill his platoon back in. And what an exciting thing that was for him. And it was a, it was a good thing for him. But can you imagine that mom back home as she gave up her son for Christmas? What I'm simply saying is that star uh, that appeared in the sky, my friend, it symbolized that God had given. And for the first time, the Son of God was no longer in heaven in His rightful place. He gave up the splendors of heaven to come down and tabernacle among men. You say, preacher, explain that. Well, I, I've given you the best I can, and the Scripture explains it in more detail. I, I don't understand all I know about it, but I believe every word of it. I believe it to be the, the, the truth. But I want to think about this star tonight, this Christmas star, the star that these magi, these wise men saw there, uh, they were in the east, by the way, and the star was in the west. And a lot of people have got that backwards. There's even an organization that's picked that up for its name. But uh, it wasn't an eastern star. It was actually a western star. It was a star, and standing in the east, they saw it in the west. And so they came from the east and went westward on the journey, looking and following this star. Look what the scripture says in verse number 2. For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship Him. I want to share some things about this Christmas star tonight and, and make some parallels. The Christmas star you see of that time, we, we still have a, a Christmas star. And I, well, you may not go out tonight and see a particular star that's brighter than another, but we do have something that's equally valuable or, or even more valuable, and that is we have the light of the gospel. And so I'll use that parallel tonight, that Christmas star in comparison to the light of the gospel. You think about, the, uh, you think about this star. First of all, this star was a guiding star. There would have been no way for these men to have known about or have uh, in any way set out to find the Lord Jesus had it not been for the guidance of this star. Uh, they would never have been able to, to find him. They would have never been able, would, wouldn't even have known about him had it not been for the star. May I say the same thing's true about the light of the gospel. People wouldn't know how to get to God, but matter of fact, they wouldn't even know about him. They wouldn't even know that there was a Savior if it were not for the gospel light that we have. And certainly wouldn't know how to get to him if they did know about him, if it were not for the light of the gospel. Say, preacher, I didn't think you could do it, but you're working missions into a Christmas message. You work it in it's 50, 51 weeks a year, and here you are working. I'm just telling you, hey man, uh, we're, hey, we shining lights, that gospel light, that hey, the star of Bethlehem has served a purpose, but may I say there's a light that's been shining for 2,000 years since that. You see, the, that gospel, that Christmas star, it led the men to, to Christ uh, that one individual time, these wise men, Thank God the light of the gospel has been leading people to him ever since. And a whole lot more have made their journey from wherever to an old-fashioned altar uh, in the 2,000 years preceding than during the, the time of, of this star and the, and, the, and the time that it shone. Look what the Bible says in verse number 1. There came wise men from Jerusalem, or came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now you think about this. 
I, I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but if you'll take a, your Bible map and you look where Jerusalem's at, if you get on a tour bus even today and you head east from Jerusalem, you immediately start into the wilderness. There's nothing there. And if you head out, you, you head out into the wilderness where the temptation of Christ occurred. And you go from there down to the Dead Sea. And you know why they call it the Dead Sea? Because it's dead. And there's very few inhabitants. And it's just a sparsely populated area. You leave there. You go over into the mountains of, of Jordan and, and, and to the south of there, Moab. And from there, you go into the sands of Saudi Arabia. I'm telling you, folks, there's not much to the east. There's not, I mean, you go west from Jerusalem and you'll be in the Mediterranean in just a, a short distance. But you go east from Jerusalem the way that they would have had to come. And, of course, we believe, and, and I believe I could go to the book of Daniel. It's a different message. But I believe I can go to the book of Daniel and show you some truths why I think that the uh, Babylonian captivity influenced these wise men and how that the prophecies of Daniel and the uh, influenced them and so that's why they were looking and they had had a profound influence even though they were there as captives just like Paul was a captive in a Roman jail I'm glad to report to you that Paul had an influence and we believe even that uh, maybe some of the prisoners got saved during the time that Paul was in jail well, may I say that I believe that these captives in, Bab in the Babylonian Empire by the way if you look at a map of the Babylonian Empire and then later the the empire of the Persians and the Medes. Persia, during World War II, for code names, we stopped using because Iraq and Iran sound so much alike on the radio and in transmissions. We stopped using those two names and we started calling Iran Persia because that's its old name. And if you'll look beyond Persia, what lies beyond Persia, you get into the Middle Eastern area of Afghanistan and you keep going and you go all the way into India and from there to the North China and of course all of Southeast Asia. Some people preach, say, hey, preacher, where did they come from? Well, understand they could have come from anywhere, but the chances are that they came from areas that had once been a part of uh, one of the three dominating countries or the dominating empires that had uh, conquered and had carried the children of Israel abroad. What were they? Can you remember? Uh, you know what the three conquering countries were, the conquering empires? The first one was Assyria, and then they were conquered by who? By Babylon, which is Iraq, and then Babylon was conquered by who? Persia, the Persian and the Medes. And so it got bigger as it went, it got bigger, and they actually the captive Jews from the northern tribes were first conquered by Assyria, and then Assyria was conquered by Babylon, so it made them Babylonian captives. Babylon conquered the southern kingdom, and so that took in all of, of Israel, all of Judea. And then Babylon was conquered by Persia. And it was under the Persian rule, Artaxerxes, that they were allowed to come back in the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple. But understand that the empire of Persia extended all the way down into Egypt, all of Judea. And if you look the opposite direction, we're not sure how far it went. History says we know it encapsulated uh, Iran and Iraq, but probably parts of southern Russia. And if you look at it, probably all the way over into Afghanistan and possibly India. And in some cases, people believe it may have encompassed parts of China and even up toward Mongolia. So we're talking about a vast place. And so these gentlemen... Can I say it this way? 
they came a vast distance. May I say that the star guided. It was a guiding star, and this star guided them through vast distances. That's why I say that logically speaking, if the star appeared the night that Christ was born, you'd have had to be somewhere really close to get there that night and to arrive simultaneously with the shepherds. But more probably, Herod issued a decree that the children should be killed from two years old and under. Why did he say two years? Why didn't he say six months old? Why two years old? All the boys killed. Why did he say that? Because he said according to the time that the wise men inquired. In other words, he, they, we saw a star. How long have you been following? We've been on the road two years. Well, if a star appeared two years ago, let's kill all the kids, all the baby boys under two years of age. Have you ever thought about, of course there wasn't a, a school class as such, but have you ever thought about had, had Christ went to school in Bethlehem that there would have been, he would have been the only boy in his class? They were all exterminated. They were all killed. Hitler would have been proud. They were all destroyed. However, all the boy babies. Thus was fulfilled by the prophet Jeremiah. He said they would be weeping. And they would be crying. And they would be lost. And it was fulfilled. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that I believe they came a long way. And if you look at where they came from, if you'll get, on your, get in your Bible map and look there in the back and try to figure out where they come from, to just find a population center that would have supported a, I mean, there were Bedouin tribes, there were nomads, there were others, but number one, they would not have had any frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Number two, they would have not have had the, the finances to certainly to advance an expedition like this. And thirdly, they would have not have been refined enough in their scholarship uh, to have understood that this star meant something. I mean, these were people who knew the stars, and they looked up one night and saw one that was there that wasn't there before. And they had enough of the light of the gospel to know that this meant there was a coming king. And so there was an a, a, a expedition financed by someone to move these magi long, vast distances to get them to where they needed to be to fulfill the account of the Christmas story. All of that kind of plays on my mind when I get to thinking about it. I also would say that I doubt there were three. I doubt three men would have got the, the recognition of Herod, three strangers from a foreign country. I doubt that. They apparently were from some place of renown. He received them as a diplomatic corps right into his presence. There had, there had to be somebody. Can I say it that way? And there had to be from somewhere to be somebody. There had to be from somewhere. Where, preacher? Don't know, but there had to be somebody from somewhere. Three camel jockey Bedouins coming, strolling in off the Arabian. No, no, no. They're not going to make, this not going to happen, folks. This is not going to happen. These people were somebody from somewhere, and while some of the details are still obscure to us, I can say this, I believe with all confidence, that they came a long way. And the star guided them a vast distance. May I say, as I look around at the gospel, the light of the gospel, may I say, hallelujah, it's brought us a long way. <laughs> Thank God, I ain't what a, I ain't what a, 
I ain't what I'm going to be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. Boy, the gospel light has brought me a distance. Boy, I look around each of you, the gospel light's brought you a fur piece. Amen? It's brought you a long way. Whoever thought this Christmas that you'd be sitting here, whoever thought you'd be involved in a work like this, whoever thought you'd be involved in the work of the Lord. I'll pick on him because he's not here tonight. But Brother Larry, if you'd have seen him on the parkway getting married on a motorcycle with a pigtail down his back longer than his wife's, you would have doubted very seriously that he would spend the Christmas holiday in the Philippines preaching the Gospels and seeing hundreds and thousands of people saved. A few years ago, if I could take you up to the Overlook where they were married at and show you his photograph, he carries one, so he, he, he does that as a reminder of what he once looked like. I remember Larry, I was about half scared of him because, I mean, he was a bully booger looking thing and uh, he just, you know, he was not a fella. If you'd have said, preacher, pick out somebody out of his class that will carry the gospel around the world, he would have probably been the least likely individual that I would have chosen. But may I say the light of the gospels carried him a vast distance. And may I say the light of the gospel, boy, I fell ark. The light of the gospel is carrying him a vast distance. What about men that's thrill is to leave their families, to leave their home, to climb on airplanes for 19 hours at a stretch and fly halfway around the world to folks that have a different language and a different culture and a different value system to get to preach the gospel to them? Now what about that? And not only do it, but be their thrill to do it. Why, L.H., his whole year, the only reason he's here, the only reason he works like he does, the only reason he does all that is so he can leave for Christmas and go spend it preaching the gospel. It is the thrill of his life. And L.H. was an old beer drinking redneck from Jackson County that you wouldn't have spit on if he had been on fire. He was one of them fellas that you hit your lock button when you see him on the side of the road. Now that's the kind of fella I'm talking about. And tonight, where's he at? Having the time of his life. May I say, hey man, that Christmas light has brought him a far distance. And may I say, even standing here myself tonight, if you'd have said 22 years ago that that I'd, have, I'd be the pastor here for this length of time and, and, be, and see what God, hey, you just can't imagine what God's done and how far God's brought me. And thank God, just think of where he could go and what could happen. May I say it was a guiding star. And the guiding star, it, it, it brought him through a vast distance. But may I quickly insert that this guiding star, not only a, a, a far distance and, and, a, and, a, and a vast distance, but you think about it, and the Bible doesn't mention it, but it's got to be that this guiding star also brought them through very dangers. Stands to reason, don't it? I mean, again, we're not, we're not on the super highway. The Roman Empire did extend a quite a distance, but they did build roads, roads so that they could march their troops in and out. But now where we're heading... Uh, there was the old caravan routes into the silk trade centers of the east and those sorts of things. But may I say that for the most part, it was a very dangerous journey. Let me go one step further. It's still a dangerous journey. 
When I was in Saudi Arabia, we went up through the Saudi desert, up toward Kuwait, and you'd see a car, a Mercedes, that broke a fan belt or that had a flat tire. And you'd go by it the next day and it looked like ants had stripped the carcass of, a, of an animal or something. Those Bedouins deal in parts. The camel riding Bedouins deal in Mercedes parts. I'm telling the truth. They will strip a Mercedes Benz down to the frame. They will come in on their camels, and this is the truth. Today in Saudi Arabia, those Bedouins will come in, and number one, if you don't have a cell phone or you don't have some way to get you a ride, they'll get you. They're very dangerous. But you would see these holes of automobiles all up and down the sides of this road. And I couldn't figure out, it looks like a junkyard. What's going on? Just, just shells. And so I got to inquire, and they said, those are cars that had a flat tire, or they had a fan belt break, or had a water pump go out. And I said, yeah, but they're completely stripped. And they said, you think breaking down in, in, uh, in Harlem is a bad thing. You ought to break down in Saudi Arabia. Because once it breaks, you might as well just throw in the towel, friend. It's over. Because they sit and watch for cars to break down. And they'll come in there, and believe it or not, they carry wrenches on these camels, and they literally do. And they take this stuff apart, and they sell all the parts, and they take it back into the nearest town, and they, they, they uh, like a chop shop in America, they sell the parts. But again, if you're there and you've got money on you, they'll bury you in the sand somewhere in you history. That's why I say probably wasn't just three wise men, even though they may have, and there could have been three main leaders, but... The only reason the Bible, that we get the idea of three wise men is because of the three types of gifts that we'll deal with in a moment. But you figure, to set out on an expedition like that, you better have enough men to protect you from armed bandits. And they were pretty good sized groups of them. I'm saying that I expect that the wise men traveled in a caravan maybe of 300. You can bet they didn't wash their own linens and they didn't build their own fires and cook their own food more than likely. Chances are they had a full array of servants, and with that, they had a full entourage of warriors and soldiers to protect them from the vast dangers and from the very dangers that would be encountered upon the trip. What was it that Isaac Watts wrote in the second or third verse of, I guess it was the third verse of Amazing Grace? He said, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Amen? You think about what God's brought us from. Amen? You think about what God saved us from. You think with me tonight how some of the things that you could very easily have gotten into that you would have been involved in, that you were involved in, and yet God spared you from. May I say this star guided them through vast distances. This star guided them through very dangerous. No telling what they... But may I say when you... You say, well, preacher, what did the star have to do with it? Well, I personally believe, according to what the Scripture says, the star apparently, we know that it moved. And I'm not sure if it appeared over Jerusalem and then it moved and went with them. I tend to believe probably the other way around, that it appeared where they are and came because Herod hadn't seen it. Or if he had, he hadn't noticed it. And all of the, the scribes and all the fair, nobody else had noticed it. 
So it apparently is our drama portrayed the other night. It apparently came and went. But apparently this star may have guided them around some dangerous places. It may have guided them through some areas that, and around some places. I say sometimes the will of God will lead you in some places that hurt. But the will of God will never lead you into a place that will harm. You can rest assured. You follow the gospel light. I don't, I'm not saying it don't hurt sometimes. It does hurt. But may I say it will never harm you. The gospel light will never harm you. You follow God's star. You follow God's light. And it will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But you think about these three. We call them wise men. Scripture calls them wise men. There were a lot of smart men, no doubt, where they came from. But the scripture says these men were wise. What made them wise? What does the scripture say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, these three men, this star guided them and led them into a, unto a valuable destiny. What are you saying? I'm saying these are some men who got to see Christ in his infancy. They got to see Christ firsthand. They got to see him in person. And I personally believe it forever changed their lives. I believe it did. History doesn't tell us a lot. Tradition speaks, but, and, and again, for what it's worth, but there are traditions found throughout the Middle East of a great ruler that would rise up out of Judea. If you go back and search, search secular history, and there are people who believe they may have found the wise men. They may have been a tenured evangelist. They may have preached. They may have carried the gospel back into that country uh, of the occupation of the, of the Persian Empire. I don't know. We don't know exactly, but I'll guarantee you this. Regardless of what impact they had on the world, may I say that thank God that night had an impact on them. You can rest assured of that. You can rest assured that it was it changed their destiny. It changed their lives forever. And of course, we know what the scripture is talking about, that it says, and they and they left a different way. Well, may I say that's I believe that's a double fold meaning there. We mean we know they didn't go back to Jerusalem and then go back home. We know that's the literal meaning, but may I say I think there's an implied meaning to go with that. Hallelujah, you don't ever see Jesus. And go back home the same way you came. And I believe it was a valuable destiny. Secondly, not only was it a guiding star, but I believe it was a guarding star. Now, I've never seen this before, and I've actually preached it the other way around. I've preached that the star was a constant light, and that it stood over Bethlehem, and that the wise men got sidetracked. And they got, somehow or another, they got sidetracked and they, they substituted reason for revelation. And they said, well, I know it's pointing toward Bethlehem, but can't be. Let's go to Jerusalem. That's got to be where the king of the Jews will be born. And I've preached that. And I think there's some evidence maybe to that end. But think of this. The scripture says that they ended up there in Jerusalem. Look here what this, what this says. This Verse 9, the star which they saw in the east went before them. It had some movement. 
and came and stood over. Then it was still where the young child was. And the Bible says in verse number 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. What's the inference here? I've never seen this before, but it looks like to me that they had seen it and then they stopped seeing it and then all of a sudden they see it again. Maybe that happened nightly. Maybe that happened every few days. I don't know. Somebody said, well, preacher, maybe, maybe they couldn't see it because of something in their life, because of some sin in their life. Very possibly. Maybe because they got discouraged or lost faith. I'm not, that's, a good, that's good preaching. But I, what I'm simply saying is, could it be, could it just simply be that this was a guarding star? That it was not to be seen, the design was never to be seen by Herod? The design was not to be seen by the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees? But by design, God had this star appear to these men and God guarded the star. And could it be that every time that one of the, one of the, the, the Herod's men walked out on the balcony to look into the sky, maybe that it went out? Maybe the, that's the reason the Magi would go, oops, now what do we go? Now which Well, let's just go the direction we've been going. It was over yonder, wasn't it? And maybe they continue to go that direction. I don't know, understand all I know, but I do know this, that this star, it guarded and vindicated the reality of a Savior. You see, because the Bible, it stood over where the young child was, uh, the Bible says in, in, in the book of uh, uh, in uh, the book of Micah said uh, in verse number six, out of Bethlehem shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Hey, verifiable evidence. When it stood over where the young child was, when it came to Bethlehem, it verified the truth of the Scripture, and it was a verifiable truth that he was born in Bethlehem. But then, verse number 9, stood over Bible says, where the young child was. You see, there was a reality in this thing, that there actually was a child. Somebody said, oh, they wasn't, you know, it's all just in their minds. It was all just a myth. Well, you could touch him. You could hold him. You know, here he is. Not just a philosophy. Not just an ideology, flesh and blood, here he is. Come see. Come see. You understand what I'm talking about? May I say this star was a guarding star. May I say the light of the gospel will do the same thing. It will guard you. It will. If you will let it. How many times have you wanted to get into something? How many times have you wanted to do something and yet the light of the gospel and your heart goes, uh-uh-uh, you know better than that. No, you know better than that. And you grieve the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost steps up and, 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 and grips your heart and you go, well, I, I'm sorry, I can't go there. Or I'm sorry, I can't do that. And I say that star apparently had some guarding effect. It's interesting that they could see it from where they were, but they couldn't see it from Jerusalem. Maybe it was only visible in one, one direction. Maybe it was only visible to them. 
I don't understand all I know about it, but I know this. Herod was guarded from seeing the thing. And as a result, he was tipped off about the birth of Christ from some foreigners from a long way off. And that's how he found out about it. And somebody said, yeah, but preacher, it made a, they shouldn't have went there, it made a mess. Well, given. But on the other hand, a lot of scripture had to be fulfilled and maybe in God's plan that it had to be just exactly like it was. So it was a, certainly a guiding star. It was a guarding star. But let me, let me close with this. It was a gladdening star. How do you know? Because what the Bible says, verse 10, when they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Exceeding great joy. They rejoiced. Think of the words here that's being used. Rejoiced and then exceeding great joy. Exceeding great means more than enough, means more than excess. It means as much as you get. They absolutely had a spell. They had a fit. Why did they have such a spell, preacher? Why did they have such a fit? Why did they have such a time? Why is that, preacher? Well, I can tell you why. You remember the gifts that they brought and they laid before the king? We put a lot of emphasis on the gifts. But you know, I think the gifts, and, and you've you heard me preach and, and symbolize the gifts, and, and I think they were symbolic, each one of the treasures. Gold, happened to have some props here. You know, gold symbolized, obviously, the deity of Christ. Frankincense, excuse me, the royalty of Christ. Frankincense symbolized the deity of Christ. And myrrh symbolized the humanity of Christ. But you know, I think they were even more than that. Why were they glad? They weren't just glad in giving the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But hallelujah, they were glad because what they got in return. What they get, preacher? Well, you see, that gold signified his sovereignty. And may I say, when they saw the child, when they saw the star, and when they saw the child, and they presented to him, to, if there had been any question or doubt in their minds along the journey, all that was removed because immediately they fell down. Immediately they were glad, and immediately they fell down, and they worshiped him right on the spot. And he allowed them to. And Mary and Joseph allowed them to. Maybe Mary said, let me go get Jesus. <laughs> and she brought him out and they fell down and they worshipped him. But you see his sovereignty, that gold represented sovereignty. May I say that sovereignty had claimed their allegiance. His sovereignty. And they presented unto him gifts, gold. But then that frankincense represented his deity. May I say that his deity had commanded their reverence. The Bible says they worshiped. They bowed at his feet. May I say that's something we don't have much of anymore. People <laughs> popping bubble gum at the altar and Jesus being a, a fad word and everybody now talking about Jesus and and uses his first name, you see very little reverence anymore for the Son of God. 
You don't see these fellows go in and, and say, hey, buddy, what you doing? And go to throwing him up in the air and playing with him like a grandchild. What did they do? They fell on their faces. And that, that frankincense represented his deity. And my friend, that deity took a hold in their hearts. And that deity uh, commanded their reverence. But then that finally, that myrrh. Myrrh was used for embalming dead bodies. Very expensive. And that myrrh represented his humanity. But do you understand that these men being from the east, these men probably being Gentiles, these men probably being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, not being Jews, not having access, and yet the light of the star granted them an audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they came. And John said, And the Word was made flesh, and we dwelt among us. They could touch Him. They could feel Him. Not that they did, but He was there. He was a living, breathing human being. And therefore He became, if, you can, if I can say it this way, His sovereignty claimed their allegiance, the gold. His deity commanded the reverence, the frankincense. But His humanity compelled their acceptance. In other words, it was brought down to a term that they could understand. Rather than some infinite God off in the universe somewhere, here was a physical, living, breathing person. God incarnate. God in the flesh. What do you think made them so excited? Why do you think they got exceeding great joy? Well, it was a guiding star. It was a guarding star. But thank God it was a gladdening star. And it wasn't because of what they gave him. But it's what they took back to the house. And the Bible says and they left a different way. And they had a revelation from God not to go back the way being warned. And so they didn't. But may I say I really believe they left a different direction in a different way because of what God had performed in their hearts. You think about we face the same challenges today. A lot of people, they believe he's king, but he's not their king. He's just a king. But if he's truly king, then he is worthy of our allegiance. Of our allegiance. If he's truly king. If he's who he says he is, then he's worthy of our allegiance. Secondly, if he's who he says he is, he is worthy of our reverence. Our reverence. We ought to stand in awe in his presence and bow at his feet. And then, if he's who he said he is, his humanity ought to compel our acceptance. What does that mean, preacher? Well, to realize. Scripture says there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. That he's walked in our shoes. He's lived in one of these earthly bodies. He knows what it feels like to be in shoe leather. And he knows what it feels like to be tired. And he knows what it feels like to be discouraged. And he knows what it feels like to be tempted. And I'm so glad to report to you tonight that 
that star of Bethlehem, that star of Christmas was a gladdening star. And may I say the same thing can be true tonight. Our allegiance, our reverence, our acceptance. At a time when everybody's trying to write Christmas out of the calendar. No wonder. No wonder. Because once again I say if he's who he said he was, then that proves that we're who he said we were. And if we are who he said we were, then we're sinners in need of a Savior. And I used to say Christ in a Bethlehem manger is not much of a threat. People will celebrate that, but they won't celebrate Easter because they can't handle a resurrected Lord. May I go one step further and say they can't handle a babe in a manger? They attacked his virginity years ago. That didn't work. You know, the virgin birth. They attacked Mary and called her a young woman and went through all these things. They've attacked every way they can. And so now what do we do? We just kind of write the holiday off and call it Winter Festival. Happy holidays, kind of generically write it off. But I want to tell you, it don't change the truth of the light. It don't change the truth of the star. It does not change the truth of the gospel. Whether they choose to follow it or not, doesn't change a thing. If these wise men had chose to stay in their respected places, it would not have changed one iota. Christ is born in Bethlehem. And if he's born, then he's worthy. And if he's who he said he is, and if this book is the account of who he was, then certainly the gospel light, it ought to be a guiding light. It ought to be a guarding light. And my friend, this Christmas we ought to be the happiest people in the world. It ought to be a gladdening light to those who have received it. May we pray together. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR. 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.